So, so last Sunday after church, I, I went outside and I went on a bike ride. You know, it was, a, it was a nice day. The weather was good and, you know, spring was in the air. It seems to come and go at this point in the, in the year, but it felt great uh, to get outside. But I noticed as I was riding, there was something off with the front wheel on my bike. It felt like the slightest bump, this recurring bump, every revolution. And so I got back home and I picked up the front wheel and I spun it and yeah, sure enough, the front wheel was out of true. I said, okay, no problem. I did what anyone else would do. I brought in my bike, I brought my bike stand and I took it from the garage, set it up in the living room and set up my bike shop there. And, uh, and add that to the list of the many reasons why I love my wife. Um, I can work on my bike in the living room, and she does not blink an eye. I, I am a blessed man. Um, so I started adjusting the, the, the tension and the spokes to try to true the wheel up, and it wasn't working. Um, the spokes were stuck, and so they should have been tightening, but instead of t- tightening, they were just twisting, which is not what you want to see on a bike wheel. Um, so I went from there, and I went uh, to the bike shop. I wanted to pick up the tool that would hold that spoke tight so it would hold it in place and I could tighten it. So I explained the situation to to Enrique. Um, He is the master mechanic in the bike shop and and he very gently explained something to me. He said, Brian, there's a bit more involved to truing a bike wheel than a lot of people think. He said, I can give you the tool, but he said, you might just want to bring the wheel in and I'll fix it. It will take me five minutes. And so here's how I replied. I said, Enrique, what you don't understand is that I watched three YouTube videos. <laughs> I've got the whole thing figured out. And, and to that, Enrique smiled. And I think he probably bit his tongue. And then the other guy, Val, in the bike shop, he chimed in. And, and he was a little bit more to the point. He said, Brian, what Enrique is trying to get at is that it's almost inevitable that he is going to end up fixing your wheel. But the longer you take messing it up, the longer it's going to take him to fix it up. And, and now I'm not going to lie, that, that injured my pride just the tiniest amount. I was like, ow, that hurt, you know, but, but it was 100% accurate. And so I, I went back home. I grabbed the wheel, I brought it back to the shop, and I asked Enrique, I said, do you mind if I just, if, can I just watch you fix this? I said, I won't bother you, you don't have to say a word, I just want to watch and learn, because, you know, who knows, once, once my pastoring days are through, you might find me working at the bike shop, I don't know. <laughs> but at this point, I know just about enough to, to be dangerous, that's, that's it. And, uh, and he did. And, and the lesson I learned is that staying teachable uh, is a whole lot better of a strategy than, than watching a couple of YouTube videos and feigning like I've got it all figured out. So open up your Bibles if you have them to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're, we're in week 7 of a series. We're working our way through this letter, 1 Corinthians. The series is called Growing Pains, and, and it's this letter that was written to a a childish group of Christians, a childish church to to tell them and show them what it looks like to grow in the Lord, to take forward steps in in our journey with Jesus. And uh, in today's passage, there's a particular question that gets asked 
four different times. And I picked up on that. And the question is this, do you not know? Do you not know? You see, sometimes what we don't know is what keeps our lives at a standstill from a spiritual point of view. It's, do you not know? Um, It's not that we don't know anything. It's not that what we know isn't true. It's just that sometimes there's there's more to the story. There's more to know. And the information that we're working with is just incomplete. It's kind of like me and my bike wheel, right? The, the, that little bit of knowledge by itself can be a dangerous thing. And that was the case for the Christians in Corinth. They were, they, they were doing faith with a, with a whole lot of zeal and very little knowledge. And then these lifestyle issues started popping up. They were surfacing. And that's what this passage was written um, to address, to to show them that there was more going on than than they were registering on their radar screen. So it applies not only to bike wheels, it applies to to faith issues. And and so um, maybe the primary challenge for us this morning is to to stay teachable, to, to be willing to learn, and I, on this day, probably more than any day, um, I want to just personally invite you to be teachable as we work through God's word this morning, because I got to be honest with you, this is a passage that is probably going to send, it's going to set off a few landmines, um, and you may very well find it uh, to be abrasive, and, and I'm going to try as hard as I can not to but I'll just tell you up front, there's a, there's a pretty high probability that I'll, I'll end up offending everyone <laughs> in this room uh, before this morning is over. And, uh, and particularly on Palm Sunday, that's the last thing I want to do. You know, I was kind of wrestling with, do I, just, do I just hit the pause button on our sermon series and just jump into a, you know, a traditional Palm Sunday uh, sermon? And, and I, I, I felt not to, so... Uh, So we're going to jump into it. You are going to understand what I'm talking about immediately when I read the first few verses that we're looking at. And I am going to just ask you to stay with me to the end. Here's how it says, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, now you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I thank you for, uh, for not getting up and walking out and, and, and for your willingness to hear me out. Um, and the, the Corinthian Christians, uh, they had a base of knowledge about how God works. It was about a mile wide and about an inch deep. And they weren't wrong about what they knew. They, they knew about the love of God, that it was unconditional. Uh, they knew about the grace of God, that he forgives freely. They knew that God meets us as we are, right where we are, no matter who we are, where we've come from, or what we've done. They knew all of that. Uh, They knew that we don't have to clean up our lives or get our acts together first before we can come to him. They were aware of all that, but what they didn't know or what maybe they'd lost sight of is that the grace of God, that God works in an efficacious way. And that's just a word that means there is an active power to the Christian life. 
that God is at work to produce something in us. And so the way I would say it is that amazing grace results in righteous living. Amazing grace results in righteous living. The, the Corinthians hadn't made that connection between this is the work God is doing in our lives and this is the way that it's impacting the way we're living out our lives. And so Paul's writing here to connect the dots. You see, to them, grace meant one thing. It meant what you do, how you live, what your lifestyle looks like. It doesn't really matter. And, and that pretty much sums up the way they were living out faith in, in Corinth. And, and I think that challenges us today uh, to ask ourselves, how are we living out faith today here in Carmel? or wherever you're from, right? Are, are we content uh, with just a couple of dabs of grace, just a little bit of it, enough to inspire us, enough to, to give us some you know, warm fuzzies, make us feel good about ourselves and get going on our day, but not enough to, to challenge us or to change us or to impact the way that we're actually doing life. This is the reality. Amazing grace results in righteous living. It says, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The reality is when, when God's rule and his reign takes root in a person's heart, that, that life, it starts to live right in a world gone wrong. Not, not completely, of course, not completely. It's an ongoing, incremental process. All of us um, are today, and we will continue to be works in progress this side of eternity. But, but ever since that moment in the Garden of Eden, when humanity fell, God's agenda has been set on making everything that went wrong right again. That's what he's about. It's, it's set on restoring broken people and this broken planet back to the original design. And that work starts now. It's meant to happen in the lives of his redeemed people. So, so if you're kind of like the Corinthians and, and you weren't aware of that, right? Or if for whatever reason you just lost sight of that and you just thought grace meant I get a hall pass from anything and everything, let, let today uh, be the day when that truth, that reality gets added to the way that you're making sense and working through that issue of how God is at work and what he wants to do. And so here's the thing. Uh, it's not enough to just affirm that in the abstract and then leave it at that, right? We could do that. Like, amazing grace results in righteous living. Got it. Okay, thank you. What's next? Let's keep going. You know, Paul, Paul was wise enough a pastor to know that his people needed to be pressed on the particulars, that the wrong that God was in the process of working out, to root out, to redeem, and to restore, it needed to get spelled out. It needed to be set loud and clear. And so you might say that, that he was willing to, to blow the whistle and call the foul. And that's what's happening here in this passage. And I don't know about you, uh, but I find myself these days very grateful for that. You know, it is a little bit challenging, but I also find myself grateful for it because here's the thing, the game can't start until the boundary lines have been spelled out, right? 
And so this is our world today. We live in a world where every single issue seems to have become so insanely complex that it's absolutely exhausting. It's almost impossible to have conversations anymore, right? You can't make any kind of value judgment about anything because someone is guaranteed to be offended. That's the problem. When everyone's right, everyone's equally wrong. And I think that is a symptom of just a world gone wrong. Um, but here's the thing. God's church is meant to be a place where people can walk into and escape that confusion and find maybe just a little bit of clarity. Just a little bit of clarity. At least, I would say, in the what's, Right? We still have to roll up our sleeves. We have to wrestle through the house, and that's a whole other thing, and we do that, and that's good. Um, but I think we are in desperate need of just some simple clarity, and clarity comes from our creator. The game can't start until the boundary lines are set. And so with that said, let's press into the particulars. Let's look at where the lines fall, and this... This, these, this list in this passage, it's not a comprehensive list, but, but here at the top of the list is the issue of sexual immorality. That, that would be sex in any setting outside of the security of a marriage covenant relationship between one man, one woman for one lifetime. And so to go back to it, that's the way God designed it. If you open up your Bible to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 2, that's where he's bringing it back to. And so what that means, premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, they all fall into the same category and they're all out of bounds for the redeemed child of God. Add to that is the issue of idolatry. That's, that's when we choose to worship anything other than the one true God. See, the reality is everyone worships, not, not just religious people, uh, not just people of faith. Everyone has something set up in their life as the thing. This is what matters most. This is what everything else defers to. And when you have the wrong object set up, it messes up everything else. When, when we start seeing almighty, eternal God for less than who he is, we start elevating other things in its place. We try to get from something or someone else what can only be had and what can only come from God. And that kind of leads to what's next on the list, which is uh, stealing, taking what doesn't belong to us. And, and greed, this, this never-ending lust for more, both of those are just, they're just out of bounds for the Christian life. It's out of bounds for what God is in the process of working in his people's lives. He wants to build up generosity. He wants to build up compassion. He wants us to give. The next item is drunkenness, and it says that's, at a place as well, that the life that God is cultivating, that he's building up for his people, it's not a life that you have to check out on, right? It doesn't require numbing out so you can make it another day. You don't need to escape. And for some people, that's just hard to fathom, a life that I don't have to escape from. That's, that's the life God has in mind for us. Add to that is this issue of reviling, um, it's not a very common word to hear. So what it basically means is abusing people verbally. Uh, God is in the process of building up a people who build each other up. That's what he wants from us, right? And so that doesn't, just doesn't square. He 
doesn't want us to tear each other apart. And swindlers, that's uh, trying to deceive, trying to pull one over on someone else and just to, instead of just being genuine and just being honest. And so all of that was out of bounds and Paul cared enough to make it crystal clear and, 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 and Paul was willing to blow the whistle and call the foul. And I guess the question is, are we? Actually, I guess to be more accurate, you could say that it was the Holy Spirit who called them. But then the question for us is, how are we responding? Maybe there's something as we walk through that list that you heard it and you felt there was a reaction on the inside of your heart. Something, something pushed back on it. Could it be that that's the Holy Spirit? And he's speaking and he's saying this, I'm ready when you are. I'm ready. I've got all the grace that you're going to need to work this issue through and come out the other side better, stronger, and more the person I want you to be. What are you going to do with it? Sometimes we look at that and we start making excuses, right? We start giving ourselves permission. We start rationalizing and justifying, but you don't understand, but, but, but this. The other option is we just say, let's go. Let's do it. See, that place where the foul gets called, that's the place where the Holy Spirit is ready to do a good a renewing work. It's not, it's not just about you did something wrong and I'm here to punish you and correct you because that's the way we are, you know, religious people. It's not just this arbitrary list of rules. It's about taking a next step forward to, to living the kind of life God designed you to live, to get back in bounds so the redeeming work can go on and continue. We, I guess we call it breakthrough kind of what we call it in these settings. Now, I found it, I found it a challenge sometimes uh, even to have conversations like these, even amongst Christians these days, because it doesn't take long before someone will very quickly just uh, label you a, a Pharisee, right? You're, you're a Pharisee. It seems, it seems to me, and this is just a big generalization of the church at large, that we tend we seem to be so allergic to being perceived as self-righteous that the tendency is then to just avoid real righteousness. And I think that's a, I think that's a problem. And, and verse 6, uh, it helps us distinguish the difference between self-righteousness and, and real righteousness. And, and I'll say this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It starts out and says this, And such were some of you that list of all of these out of bounds, such were some of you. They, see, the Corinthians, they, they didn't come from like this nice squeaky clean background, you know, wearing goody two-shoes kind of people. This church, it was filled with hardcore former heathens. And there was a time in their lives where they broke every rule in the book. They broke the rules all day. They didn't give it a second thought. You name it, they did it. And maybe, maybe that's a little bit like the story of your life. And maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, I don't think I belong here. I don't think this is a place for people like me, is it? And I would 
I would say to you, the answer is it is. This is a place for people like you. And the reason why is so important, because if you look at what was it that took these hardcore heathens from the outside to the inside, here's what it's not. They didn't get their act together. They didn't clean up their lives. They didn't say enough prayers, go to enough church services, and do enough good deeds till they got to the point where God said, okay, you've cleaned yourself up pretty good. I'm going to let you in, right? That's earning God's approval. That's, that's what you call self-righteousness. And that wasn't their story. And by the way, if you don't know, it's not going to be your story either. No one earns their way to the inside of of God's household, of God's family. Their story, it's, it's a Jesus story. Jesus is the difference maker. He is the one who brought them from the outside to the inside. He did it all. And truth be told, Jesus is the only way any of us get to the inside of God's family and find ourselves under his rule and his reign. And what he did for them He's able to do for anyone. So let me just read the rest of the verse. It says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So a self-righteous person, they think their stuff doesn't stink, right? That's, That's very different from the person who appreciates the incredible extent that their Savior Jesus went through to wash them clean, to sanctify their lives, to bring them to a place where they can stand justified, declared innocent before God, right? That, that Palm Sunday promenade when Jesus didn't go to the throne, he, he went to the cross and we, he cleaned us. He, we're washed clean by his shed blood. He gave up everything on the cross to bring us to the place we're at. And so real righteousness just simply understands that I have no business being where I am. The only thing that's brought me here is Jesus and his amazing grace. And in light of everything he did, he did it for a greater purpose than for me to just jump back into that same cesspool he just pulled me out of. See, there's there's nothing self-righteousness about pursuing God's redemption purposes with everything you've got. And that's the invitation of this passage. So what follows next uh, is a case study. This is basically a case study on how everything we just looked at, everything we just walked through applies to a particular uh, situation. And we're going to read through it. It's it's, it's an out-of-bounds issue that gets called out. The foul gets called, right? And this one just happens to be over a sexual immorality issue, which if you've been here the past few weeks, that seems to have been an area that needed some focused attention at this church in Corinth. Now, now of course, it's not an issue in any of our lives, right? Um, but, but just in case it ever is, like maybe a half an hour after you leave church this morning, right? Let's just, why don't we just walk through it anyway? And we can just take a look and see how maybe the same principle applies to some of the areas that we're walking through in our own lives. It says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, 
but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And so shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral persons sin against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So we're just going to work through this real quickly. The the Corinthian Christians basically... um, they viewed sex about the same way you view food, right? And, and again, we're, we're, I mean, they're, they're, they're works in progress just like we are. Um, so if you can forgive the bluntness, um, here's how it went down in Corinth. When you're hungry, you eat. And when you're horny, you go to the brothel. Um, sorry for the bluntness. That's just how it rolled in Corinth. And maybe today it might sound a little bit different, That'd be, you put on some porn, you satisfy that urge, right? Both cases, the assumption is that it's not a big deal. It's just physical, nothing more. It's nothing more than scratching an itch, except it's not. There's a lot more going on for the redeemed child of God because Paul explains here that if you are redeemed, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? The the living God, Jesus, is living inside you. He has taken up residence inside your life. See, new life in Christ is new life with Christ. It's a package deal. He doesn't just give us something. He gives us himself. And so from the time you receive Jesus, the reality is there's nothing that we do that doesn't involve him. And that means that option of kind of leaving him at home for the night and, and having a night to yourself at the brothel, he's explaining that's just, it's just not an option. See, the principle is Jesus, is Jesus is with you. So there's no greater need than to glorify him with your body, in your body. Do whatever you do in a way that brings glory to the Lord and Savior. In this case, in this particular situation, here's what it looks like. He says, run as far away from sexual temptation as you can get and run as fast as you can. Basically, run for your life. That's your best option. And it's worth hearing, right? Don't try to fight it. Don't try to stay. You're not wired. We're not wired to fight. The best option is to flee. And then to extend it to the other situations in our life, whatever it is, Learn what it looks like to live out this union in Christ. Jesus is there. He's in every set of setting that we're in. And so we have the opportunity to glorify him and make that the biggest factor in all that we do. So let me wrap it up. And I'll say this God's agenda for, for his church is for our church to be a redemption center 
right? To, to be a place where people can come and learn and grow and understand what it looks like to live more of the life that God intends for them, for us. We're doing this together, places where we're not just finding forgiveness, as good as that is and as important that is that, but that we're growing. We're seeing steps of redemption and restoration take place. Let's not settle for less than that. There's a, there's a line in the middle of a U2 song that uh, comes to mind, and it's, it's from this live album, and uh, Bono, you know, as he usually does, he's singing, and then he starts, like, preaching in the middle of his song, and in this time he's talking and preaching about these social issues and all kinds of things, and then I think he catches himself. And, and he understands that he's gone a little bit too far mid-song, and so in his Dublin accents, he says this, am I bugging you? I don't mean to bug you. I'm not very good at that accent. Um, but it's kind of the way I feel this morning, you know? Am I bugging you? I don't mean to, I don't mean to bug you. Maybe you just, you came into this place this morning and you're here because it's Palm Sunday and someone invited you in and this is, this is not, this is not what you expected. This is heavy. Oh man, I'm sorry. I don't mean to bug you. But as, but as we close this morning, I don't mean to bug you, but maybe the Holy Spirit does. Maybe the Holy Spirit is beckoning you. And he's tapping on your shoulder. He's, he's tugging on your heart and he's saying, I'm, I'm ready when you are. There's, there's more work that he wants to do. There's more work that God intends to do in our lives in leading us to become more of the people that he has in mind for us to be. What he does, he does for our good and for his glory. So let's go after it with all we got. Pray with me. Lord, thank